0: And welcome to another edition of the One Hood Power Hour. Do not adjust your screens. Uh, we are looking a little bit different today because um, just me at the helm, we have a lot of great things going on with the One Hood Power team. Um, and so I am going to be holding us down tonight. We have a wonderful, wonderful program with you all this evening to talk about The upcoming World AIDS Day, which is going to be December 1st, it has held December 1st every single year. And it's a moment that we take time to reflect on what has happened um, over the past few decades since the um, AIDS uh, health situation actually began. We reflect on the mistakes that the medical community and the uh, political community made. We celebrate the medical advancements that we have uh, made in um, reducing the deadly impact of AIDS and HIV, and we remember those that we lost, So we also celebrate those who are still here, who are living and thriving while living with HIV, and we also encourage people to get tested and know their status, and so there are a lot of events happening around the city. We're going to be talking with two organizations, Project Silk, as well as allies for health and Wellbeing, about some of the work they have been doing um, in southwestern Pennsylvania, um, but around the region, really, to help people live long, healthy lives, to fight back some of the stigma and stigmas that have um, happened, and to also fight back against some of the discrimination through services and community building and community organizing. So that's a great show that we have uh, for you all. But before we get to our guests, we're going to um, do what we usually do, just a rundown of some of the news stories and some of the happenings that have been going on. We do understand that this is, I believe, rolling into the second night of Hanukkah. And so that does mean that uh, we want to give Um, our support and love and solidarity and wish all those who are observing a happy Hanukkah. Um, Very interesting to note that because our vice president um, and her husband practice um, Judaism, uh, this is the first time um, that Hanukkah is being observed within the White House, not as a formality, but as part of an ongoing cultural practice. And so I wanna talk about how important it is that people do see themselves reflected in leadership and places of power and these administrations um, that are going on wise. We do encourage civic engagement so that people can see themselves reflected in the leadership of this country and know that there is a place for them. But last week we talked a little bit about what was going on the Pittsburgh public school system and we wanted to follow up and say we're very happy That, as of right now, the Pittsburgh public school system is not going to reinstate a suspension for nonviolent offenses. Again, last week, there was public uh, comment and a hearing to figure out whether or not the city council, excuse me, the school board, was going to vote to reinstate a policy that would see um, students, particularly what we've seen through the numbers of Black and brown youth, be suspended for nonviolent offenses. Again, right now, a lot of school districts are grappling with um, how they're engaging all of these students coming back into the school building all at once and dealing with some of the frustrations, the fighting, the disagreements that have been going on um, since school reopened. And one of the things they were talking about is reinstating the suspension policy. However, that did not happen. Um, In addition, we know a lot of folks right now are worried about if there is going to be another shutdown, we know this new COVID-19 variant is uh, rapidly impacting, again, the whole entire globe. Right when a lot of people had this false sense of insecurity, that COVID-19 was coming um, somewhat ma- manageable and coming, you know, um, un- under control. We are now uh, facing with this new variant Um Places like Israel have shut their borders. The Biden administration did say that they are actually uh, banning people from at least um, eight South African countries um, to come into the United States um, as a hopes to manage this spread. Again, the World Health Organization has actually advocated against some of these border closing and cautioning how it's going to impact um, the supply chain, the people's ability to be reunited with their families and how we're able to manage some hysteria. Um, Unfortunately, we are seeing that a lot of places are not only closing their borders, but going back somewhat into semi-lockdown situations. So again, it's very imperative that people pay attention to what's going on. You know, social distance, wash your hands, um, stay home if you're feeling um, under the weather. Wear a mask uh, when you go outside, um, and if you are able to do so, make sure you're getting your vax, you know, your vaccinations, taking your vitamins, and just doing everything you can to stay healthy. This new variant is supposed to be um, more contagious, and um, some reports are saying that it is actually not um, going to be mitigated through uh, vaccines. So to some of the vaccine efficacy falls to around 40%. So it's very important, again, that as people are rushing to return to normal and to go back outside, that they are uh, practicing safety and precautions so that these new strains and variants do not keep mutating um, and actually have a moment uh, uh, to rest and to stop again. We know a lot of stuff is happening. You, you know, we've seen um, just at the legislature a conversation about interruptions into the supply chain. And so we know that COVID 19 is still impacting people. We know that people are still waiting for unemployment benefits and still waiting for housing assistance. Um, and some of those hearings are ongoing with the legislature. Again, last week we talked about. Um, House Bill uh, 2046, which is actually working its way over to the Senate right now. That's going to change the way community bell funds are operating. So our legislature is still um, very active, still passing bills, still negotiating bills. So it gets very important that people take this time um, to pay attention to what's going on uh, politically. But um, before we get to our guests, we also wanted to remind people that it is once again um, election season um, in the city, in in the county. We do know that because we have this new incoming uh, mayoral administration that there are going to be some seats coming available leading to a special election um, once uh, Representative Edgenie gets sworn in followed by possibly Deputy Mayor uh, Jake uh, Wheatley and so when that happens, there are going to be at least two seats open, if more. But again, precaution people to remind people we are still waiting to hear about what the redistricting map is going to look like. That map can be introduced in the next couple of weeks, all the way up until the, uh, the election in um, May. So again, please pay attention, figure out what's going on. We know a lot of people are overwhelmed. It's the holiday season, it's snowing, Uh, people are cold, and and people are ready, you know, for a lot of this stuff to be over, but please still understand there's a lot of things going on, and tomorrow morning there's going to be an announcement about what's been going on with the judiciary, so please, you know, stay tuned for what, what is happening. We want everyone to stay mindful, we want everyone to stay involved, and we want everyone to stay empowered and engaged with everything that's going on within the community. So like I said, at the top of the hour, we have a great program for you. Our program tonight, we're going to be talking about World AIDS Day. As so many people um, know, whether through personal experience, or just news, or just daily experiences, live experiences, um, when AIDS first came onto the scene, a lot, a lot of mistakes were made, and a lot of misfortunes occurred that resulted in millions of people being unnecessarily discriminated against and impacted by this illness. But what a lot of folks are not aware is a lot of the research that went into AIDS and HIV is actually one of the reasons why we have the uh, COVID-19 vaccines and the COVID-19 uh, medicines are able to treat and mitigate some of these illnesses because of some of the same research that went into looking at this illness has also been used to, to study um, how COVID-19 is moving through as a virus. And so we want to reflect on some of the lessons that we learned. We want to take this time to amplify the people who are doing this work in the community and for that, we have two different segments. Our first segment is going to be talking with Chaz and Jessica from Project Silk, a local-based uh, Pittsburgh organization that primarily works with Black and brown people of color who've been impacted um, through various social determinants of health. Um, and they also do focus on services and supporting people living with um, HIV as well as AIDS. And so we want to welcome to our platform, Jessica um, and Chad.
1: If they are here with us, hello. Hi. Thank you. Hi. Thank, you. Hi. Thank
0: you so much for joining us. Uh, we know it's been a it's been a long day. It's, been a, it's a cold week. And so you're very appreciative of both of you um, taking some time out to sit with us this evening. But you know, just for our, introduce to our, our audience, can you just talk about what you do at Project Silk and give us a little bit of the history of Project Silk?
2: Sure, Chaz, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? <laughs> 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 um, my name is Jess uh, Burdick. My pronouns are she/hers. I'm the program director at Project Silk, um, and we are, in a nutshell, um, a safer space for LGBT. QIA plus youth and young adults of color. We service ages 13 to 29. And our primary goal is to decrease the rate at which folks are diagnosed with HIV and SCIs. So we do offer free and confidential HIV and SCI testing. We also offer a lot of other linkages to things like housing, education, employment. And we have a ton of art space, uh, more recreational and healing programs as well. Um, that's us in a nutshell. And I'll let Chaz introduce
3: herself. Um, my name is Chaz. My pronouns are she/her. I'm the medical uh, community support specialist at Project Silk. Um Jessica is my supervisor and program director. Uh, the, she described very well what we do, and then my specific responsibility is um, sexual education and wellness and testing. Primarily testing and ed- educating folks on HIV and AIDS, the risks, those sort of things, um, and navigation of healthcare. If someone has other needs, then <clears throat> we do everything we can to link them, um, whether it be through a healthcare continuum with PEP or PrEP. Um, we work on housing, different things like that. So, those are my primary responsibilities.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Thank you um, so much for that uh, introduction, uh, Jessica and Chaz. But um, can you just talk, a little, since we're looking at World AIDS Day, can you just talk about how um, still in 2021, um, AIDS and HIV is still impacting and showing up in our community? And Can you just talk about what it looks like uh, for the people that you are currently um, serving?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I can start, but like, Chaz, we can go back and forth. So just like cut me off or jump in whenever. <laughs> um, okay. So you said uh, the ways in which it's showing up in, in communities still. Um, well, a lot of folks think that HIV and um, AIDS is like a thing of the past, but who are still being um, diagnosed with HIV um, uh, in 2021? Um <coughs> Also aren't really aware. I don't think of the ways in which people can go about um, getting treatment. A lot of folks um, who are not privy to the information really think it still is like the death sentence. I don't like saying that all the time. I know I said that last year as well, but some people still look at it like that. And it's definitely not. There's people out here living well and thriving um, who are living with HIV. Um, a lot of the uh, community members that we serve are what uh, is called high risk. So um, we do um, preventative services by providing like things like free condoms. And as Shaz said, like a lot of different um, testing and things like that, trying to get bulk um routinely test so that like you're not just coming every two years or you're not just coming after like a, a really fun weekend. You're coming like every three or six months or um, something of that nature, depending on how um, at risk you might be, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I could I could ramble, but I don't want to do that. So I'm gonna let Chaz uh jump in a little bit.
3: No, you were good. I was all into it. I was like Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um I don't have anything to add. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> um well Chad's coming to you. You said you you help people with Um, Support finding a health plan. Um, Can you just talk about some of the options that are available for people? And even before we get that, can you just talk about what the testing first process is like? um, How you can help restore people um, to that?
3: Okay. Well, it's really unique. So what I'll talk about is um, the structure at Project Silk and how our whole staff kind of works together to get like an outcome. So, um, in a nutshell. We have peers who are always out in the community, uh, peer advisors, and um, those people are Roy and Miguel Bell. And then we also have uh, the artist Rashad Xavier. We have uh, Tiara Brown, there is myself, and of course our program director, Jess. So the peer advisors are out in the community. They are meeting with folks, young folks, they're educating folks, they're making contacts, they're making people aware of the fact that we had this program. We have free testing, we have links to PrEP, we have links to PEP, and so people oftentimes come in because they've met one of these peers and have made a connection with them that makes them feel comfortable to come down and get tested and be educated on a variety of things, but just to keep it focused on testing. So someone would come in to silk into the drop-in center and they would sign in and they would say you know check off a list of things that they're interested in either learning what our services are or they actually need these services and if they are there to get tested they'll be called into a confidential office medical office that is also within the space and they'll fill out a series of uh, forms that have to do with confidentiality um, that have to do with explaining their rights to them, HIPAA. Um, and so we go through these processes with them and explain to them what they're actually doing. And if they take the test, they can get an STD or STI test, syphilis, hep C, HIV. Um, and what, what am I missing, Ms. Jess? Uh, chlamydia gonorrhea. Yes, <laughs> and so (laughs) we can take specimens we take urine specimens we take a finger prick and we also do mouth swabs for these and they're primarily rapid tests um except for a 72 hour wait on our sti our gonorrhea chlamydia so essentially you come into this office we you know are building this rapport i'm i'm the person who is testing is educating you on these things you're talking about your risk and why you want to get tested and we also have other things that are available for folks who come in so we have tons of condoms if you need condoms there's no reason for you not to have condoms contact project so we have non-latex condoms we got the yummy kind we got the get right down the business kind Oh, the <laughs> yeah, anything you could be doing that you will be like they don't have a condom for this we have a condom for that <laughs> so, so it, it typically takes 25 to 45 minutes to get your test result outside of the 72-hour test for the STI mm-hmm. you could wait inside the office you can go get a coffee you can hang out play music there it's t- before COVID it was typically a very very lively environment People from the community constantly coming in, cooking, eating, talking, voguing, painting. Like it's it's one of those places, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you would get your result. If you are positive, we would counsel you about being positive. We would also refer you so you could get another confirmation test. Mm -hmm. And so we would refer you to another agency that can give you uh, a a full test. You can jump in, Miss Jess, if I don't have the. (laughs) <laughs> the terminology, no, no, and then we, w- Good. And then we so would begin to nice, yes, <laughs> <laughs> and then we would um we would begin to build your care continuum from there, so and then the person who tests you can be there with you at every other test. they can help you with a variety of things that are available just through projects of CH- chs and other things like um bus tickets to go to you know, places and travel with you so you don't have to go to appointments by yourself if you're nervous about talking to medical professionals. You know, we had a a prep telemedicine model, which was amazing because we could actually connect our clients with um, specialists from the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center in Infectious Medicine, and they could FaceTime with them in our medical office and ask questions about PEP or PrEP or Whatever the situation was, I feel like I'm long winded. So,
0: no, did, not- did I? Answer. <laughs> you answered the questions, and I think it's pretty cool. You, you were saying that we have art, we have you know other people um, in the space. There's a communal aspect. Why was it? Why was it so important for you all to make sure that project still uh, was this community based, like organization, for the for people who are coming in? You know, at this very possible. You know, scary moment in their lives to figure out what their next step is going to be. Um, and why was it so important for you to make sure that people had access to the secondary and tertiary um, medical uh, provider?
2: Yeah, so I'm going to jump in on this and then Chaz, please feel free to chime in at any point. But like a little history of Project Silk, I think will help kind of answer that question. So Project Silk was actually implemented in 2013, so almost 10 years ago, which is crazy. Um, and it was implemented uh, under the University of Pittsburgh um, School of Public Health as a demonstration project. Um, and researchers at Pitt, uh, with Pitt Men's Study, really um, communicated uh, via roundtable discussion with community members to try and figure out um, what the community needed as far as HIV prevention, specifically for um, Black MSM, so men who have sex with men, and also young Black transgender women, um, trying to come up with an intervention that would really help provide support for folks um, in the community here in Pittsburgh. So <clears throat> through these various discussions, um, they really were able to come up with Project Silk. Um, but a lot of that was honestly led by community members. Um, we actually have a co-founder of Project Silk that we work with, um, um And they were really able to, from the top down, say what was needed in the community. So. It was known that people were having issues um, accessing housing. So obviously we needed somebody that would be able to provide um, some case management when it comes to housing access. Um, also known that people are struggling finding employment, not because they're not looking, but because there's a lot of barriers to obtaining employment that we can probably talk about later. Somebody to help navigate that system, somebody to help with them with um resume building and um, role playing for interviews and even um, clothing for interviews. Um, we know that food it, food access can be um, a huge issue um, in Pittsburgh, especially Black and brown communities. We still have food deserts here, actually, believe it or not. So with that um, knowledge in hand, it obviously made sense for us to have something like a food pantry, which we do have. And then, of course, uh, first and foremost, I should have started with, um, we're here primarily for um, HIV prevention services. So we want they wanted to make sure, of course, that that was offered um free and confidential um, whenever we were open um and really it was it was created because there wasn't a place for people of color to go uh safely. Of course, folks can go to the Department of health, they can go to different medical providers, but folks just didn't feel safe going um to these providers um, <clears throat> and that can be because folks felt like they were being overlooked uh folks felt like, um, not felt like I should really not use that language. Folks were experiencing things like microaggressions. Uh, Folks were experiencing major aggressions, like in racism um, and things of that nature, which are nothing to be taken lightly. So for all these reasons and more, there just wasn't access for a lot of LGBT uh, youth and young adults here in Pittsburgh, specifically uh, Black and brown individuals. Um, So out of that uh, really came project silk and the community part is very very important because while we're doing all those services as Shaz kind of mentioned earlier um and this has changed a little bit since covid but the vibe is really like you come in and you're able to build and uh connect to community so of course you're getting things like testing but you're also able to like sit down and have a meal break bed listen to music find things in common really like build community and find family I hope that answers your question. I'm I'm also very long-winded. <laughs> I
0: really appreciate it. But um it kind of goes to my next question. What are some of the barriers, right? We feel I think sometimes people do not understand if they're not living with um, an infectious disease or uh, do not have to worry about not having a, a primary care physician on speed dial. They may not understand what some of the barriers are to seeking um treatment, to getting access to treatment, but also. You know, being a person, a black or brown person and trying to talk to medical providers is very, you know, overwhelming for some folks. So can you just talk about some of the barriers and why it's so important that your organization uh, is out here and existing?
2: Yeah, we certainly can. Um, (laughs) Chaz, you can start because I just was on like kind of on one and I'm definitely going to get back on one with this question. (laughs) But um, I'll jump in whenever you're ready.
3: I was really looking forward to hearing you answer this question. I swear <laughs> I was. That's, I wasn't even going to come off mute. I was like, get him, Jess. <laughs> just, I'll jump in. I'll jump in. If you, you know what I mean? You go ahead and, because I just feel like you, I love it. Go ahead. I'll hop in with examples. I'll, you know, we'll bust around, split story.
2: All right. All right. So there's a lot of barriers, right? Um, I recall actually this part of our conversation last year and the list could have gone on and on. But some of those barriers we actually mentioned, like access to transportation to literally get to set appointment, right? Um, that is something we're able to help with to a certain extent. Um, but folks have to be able to come to the space to get that support. You know what I mean? And Also, if folks are living um, a, little for, a little further out um, from the city, it just like makes so people have to get on multiple buses to get to one appointment. And somebody that's ignorant might say, "Well, get up early and go," but it's it's not that easy when you're thinking about like my job, I have to get to, and then if you have children, um, if you have other obligations, it's it's very difficult to navigate that system. So just transportation to get to the appointment for the test, or to get to the follow up appointment for your prep or your pep, whatever it might be, um, there can be a lot of barriers there, and then you kind of can jump into. Uh, finances and things of that nature. So employment can be a huge barrier. Um, I know we have a lot of jobs right now um, in market, but there's still issues with folks being able to really navigate that system. There is still a lot of discrimination that folks experience when it comes to um, obtaining gainful employment here in Pittsburgh. There's a ton of discrimination that um, our trans and non-binary brothers sisters and siblings experience on a daily basis when it comes to gaining employment especially for black and brown individuals here in pittsburgh so that can be a huge barrier um why because in order to live obviously you need money you need some sort of support like nothing in this world is free so that can be a huge barrier for folks um i've listed two of my biggest ones um Chess, do you want to do you want to jump in or do you want me to go down like the racism like pipeline because I will definitely <laughs>
3: tread on down. But you're worth so welcome. I'll end. I'll end <laughs> um because I think that is a major part of it. Uh just to add to that, because racism is a major part of it. We um are living in a city that institutional racism is still practiced. And we can bring up countless examples, but I think that for the the barriers aspect it's it's easier to point out that some young people are just very uncomfortable talking to medical professionals and other kind of professionals who um may come across as condescending and um impatient if we can just keep it very you know um and so i think uh, there have been countless times when folks do need an appointment they do need a follow-up appointment they need to speak to someone they need some results from. Um, some appointment and they just are not calling back because they feel intimidated and they need that extra help or support, or they may not know how to speak to um, a medical professional and feel like they're getting their questions answered, or they may not feel within themselves confident enough to communicate their needs and need some assistance with that. And I think that if they're going into an environment that is already um practicing on a daily basis, knowingly or unknowingly, racism, then it just compounds all of the other things that they're dealing with in this particular scenario and then in life, because sometimes people are struggling with depression. Um, it's not just necessarily a positive or negative result for STI, HIV, AIDS, that sort of thing. There's so many complexities that go into um the community that we serve and helping people to um, just feel safe in the world, you know, and feel heard and seen and supported. And also in a way that people can help themselves after we make a few appointments together. Okay, do you feel comfortable now to call and speak to your doctor and say, hey, and are you comfortable to build a relationship or do you want me to go to every appointment with you? Because it may take years before someone is comfortable. You know, I may go to four or five or six, doctor's appointments, perhaps me, I mean, whatever it is. So, um, I think that is a major, major, major one where people almost can't pick up the phone and speak for themselves or they, they just feel intimidated or they, you know, they feel, um, shunned in some way, you know, Someone. you you want to add anything else? Um, No, not really. I think you
2: explained that really well. A lot of what you were talking about, Chaz, really um, was spelling out to me health literacy as a barrier. Um, I don't need to really explain that further because I think you definitely expanded upon that in your explanation. And obviously, we know um, you talked about mental health and things of that nature as well. Um, Stress is like a huge factor It can be a huge barrier. Um, when you look at studies that talk about stress, specifically for people of color, they're so disproportionate. It's so of you add, add in marginalized communities um, within LGBTQIA plus uh, communities. Since that's who Project Silk Serves, that's who I'm thinking of here. Um, it just skyrockets. Um, and housing is kind of the last thing I want to add with that. Um, we all know that like a lot of these systems are pretty much impossible to navigate if you don't have a place to go and lay your head safely. Like still strives to be a safer space for LGBTQIA plus uh, individuals. We know we can't be um, the perfect 100% safe space for everybody, so we say safer space. But if somebody doesn't even have um, a place to lay their head at night um, and call their own, um, that can be a huge barrier. And we know that's a huge barrier in Allegheny County. We, We know it is. Um, and it can be really frustrating for us as providers. Um, but that's a privilege for me to say that, right? Because I'm, I'm sitting in my kitchen right now, right? Um, and provider, so I have a full-time job, right? So these are privileges that like, I'm acknowledging that I'm having and I'm saying it's frustrating for me. But just like imagining and empathizing with the fact that folks um, literally just don't have this essential item, which is housing. And that can just be a huge barrier for folks. So I just wanted to add that in.
0: But I, do, I, thank you, I thank you so much for bringing that and talking about all the work that you're doing at Project Silk. As we wrap um, with both of you, can you just talk about how we can in contact with you? If somebody's watching um, and needs services, how can they reach out um, to Project Silk?
2: I was so fast. Oh, my gosh. Oh, <laughs> definitely can. Um, so you can get us on Facebook, um, uh, just at Project Silk um, Pittsburgh. We're also on uh, Instagram at Project Silk uh, 412. Uh, we're also on TikTok, Project Silk 412. We don't have any videos on TikTok yet, but they're coming soon um and we're also on our website that um is the organization that we're um a part of which is uh community human services so that's www.chscorp.org um you can definitely get at me via email um jburdick@chscorp.org um and I'll let Chaz give her email. I don't need to give it for her. <laughs> okay, C <laughs> at C H S C U R She knew I
3: was gonna say no. <laughs> 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 Miss Clarence underscore project suit so, on IG. Oh, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um
0: what is the fee for your services? I think it's very important because we didn't mention, we didn't mention that. We didn't tell
3: people.
2: Zero, zero and zero. Everything is free, free, free. Um, and y'all, we have so many other services as well. We have a lot of art space, kind of celebratory, um, very meaningful programming at Project Silk as well. So please like visit those websites or just like connect to Chaz um, or myself or one of our other teammates about that. So you have a lot of stuff going on geared towards HIV prevention, um, but in a very creative um, way, if you will.
0: It's a very creative and positive and affirming way. So I hope um, if anybody's listening, um, especially if you work with young people, um, they have a lot of great youth-based programming. So please reach out uh, to Jessica or Chaz. And thank you both uh, so much for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I hope we can come again. Have a good night. Thank
0: you. Um, And so to continue on, again, like we said at the very top of the hour, Um, A lot of what we've done in the past few weeks, even the past few months um, with this COVID-19 has been really on the backs of a lot of the early advocates and organizers who really had no other um, option but to mobilize around um, the early um, HIV AIDS crisis and, and work together and create organizations and programming really to show up for a community that really was forgotten and left behind and ignored. And one of those organizations uh, was Allies for Wellbeing. Of course, you know, you may have known it as something else. But Allies is the organization that's also situated right here in Pittsburgh that provides a lot of services um, to the community and even things you may not even realize. to so talk about, you know, what this World AIDS Day really means for here in 2021 and talk about some really great programming. We want to welcome Mary Beth from Allies. onto our uh, program now. So we can just talk a little bit more about some of the things that are are happening within the region um, and to learn more. So welcome, Mary Beth.
4: Thank you, Miracle. And I'm so excited to be here and to be talking with you and your audience today. Uh, And it was great to hear from the uh, folks at Project Silk too. Yeah, I know. It's like
0: it's, it's always great that there are so many community providers and people who are really like, just impacted doing the work. It's so can you just talk to us a little bit about what Allies does and some of the history um, about of Allies?
4: Of course. Allies actually started out as the Pittsburgh AIDS Task Force, and we were founded in 1985. Uh, we were part of the Pitt Men Study, and we started out as a volunteer organization. Because uh, a lot of people who were being diagnosed with HIV and AIDS in the early to mid '80s, uh, there weren't there just weren't resources available for them. There they had there was so much discrimination at the time. Uh, one of the first services that we began offering was legal services, so that someone had so that someone living with HIV who was possibly being discriminated discriminated against at their job or um, in their housing situation, our legal aid services would connect them with a lawyer who would help them through that situation. Another one of our early programs was the Buddy Program. Uh, unfortunately, in the early days of HIV and AIDS, there was a lot that we didn't know about the disease, and there was a lot of misinformation. And uh you know, people were afraid to come into contact with someone who had HIV or AIDS. They were they didn't know, you know, if shaking hands if they could get the disease, which is not the case. Uh, so the buddies were people who um, supported people living with HIV, uh, people with AIDS. At, at that time, a lot of it was helping them die with dignity. Uh, having someone to you know, help them get to doctor's appointments, and, and just having someone to be there for them. Uh, so that was the work that we started out doing. Fortunately, you know, when the antiretroviral medications came out in the mid-90s, we saw people who were living with HIV and AIDS instead of people dying from HIV and AIDS. So our scope of services shifted. We had to help people, you know, navigate their lives, living with HIV, getting the proper medications, getting to doctor's appointments uh, and um, just, you know, what they needed, giving them the support to live a long and uh, fruitful life with HIV.
0: Thank you so much. And so can you talk about some of the services that Allies provides uh, to the community now?
4: Absolutely. We offer free HIV, hepatitis C, and uh, syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia testing. Uh, Those are at our offices in East Liberty. And we also have a mobile testing van that goes out to different places in the community. We offer a full medical clinic, One of the things that we found when we were uh, looking to kind of expand our services was that people didn't want to go to the HIV clinic. They didn't want to go to the AIDS doctor. They just wanted to see their doctor. And you can do that at Allies. You can come to Allies and get your primary care, your gynecological care, uh, anything that you would go to the doctor for, we we can deal with that at Allies. Uh, For people who are living with HIV, we have case management. uh, We have a food pantry and a housing program. Uh, We offer transportation assistance. And we also have two mental health counselors on staff uh, who work with our clients who are living with HIV.
0: Perfect. And I know, uh, I think Michael would get be very upset when you talk about the um, kitchen a little bit more. so you just talk a little about what the pantry kitchen does and how people can sign up for the service?
4: Of course. As of right now, our food pantry is available for our case-managed clients. And our case-managed clients are people who are living with HIV. Uh, you don't have to be, you did not have to be diagnosed by us at Allies to take advantage of our case management services. Uh, you can just give us a call and uh, let us know that you're interested in case management and uh, we can get you into the program. Uh, the food pantry is one of the things that due to COVID, uh, it, it's pretty much going to be the last program that we offer that comes, that goes back to quote unquote normal. As of right now, uh, we're offering very limited access to the food pantry itself, but we are providing gift cards to our clients so that they can go shopping and get the groceries that they need. Um, our case managers also can stop into our pantry, load up some bags for our clients, and drop them off at their houses as well. Um, so yeah, the, the food pantry is a, a big part of what we do. Um, and and we're very happy that that's something we're able to offer our clients.
0: Yeah, and you also talked about having a full service um, clinic. You, um, Aliz, also um, recently announced that they were providing and supporting people with gender affirming care. Can you just talk a little bit um, about that for our viewers?
4: Yes, uh, our physician assistant, Braden Braden Bash, is uh, has gotten training in gender affirming care. And that is something that we can offer at our clinic if you're interested in getting on hormones. Um, we have estrogen and testosterone. So, uh, you know, whatever you're looking for, we we have uh, those hormones, that hormone therapy available. Uh, we also offer referrals to services um, that we don't provide in the office. For example, like plastic surgery, um, if you're looking to have top surgery or something like that. Um, we can also do referrals for like voice training um, and mental health services as well.
0: Perfect. And I, thank you so much for that. And as also as part of being the full service clinic, can you just talk about some of the medical um, medication prescriptions that are provided to people living with um, HIV or um, people who are actually in the stages of having is because sometimes people may say, oh, um, it's the HIV clinic, so I can only get a certain type of medication um, or I may not get the medication that I heard about. So can you just talk about uh, the prescription programs um, that you offer so that people are able to make an informed decision before they come
4: in? Absolutely. Uh, Well, first of all, if you come to allies to get tested, and you do have a reactive test that says that you are HIV positive, uh, we put into effect the rapid protocol. We can walk you across the hall from our testing facility to our clinic so that you meet with someone that day uh, to talk to you about you know, what does it look like to be uh, living with HIV today. Uh, and we can start you on antiretroviral medication immediately. Um, that's something that we're very proud of. And that's something that, uh, you know, I, I think we were one of the early adopters of that in the Pittsburgh community. Um, we also work with uh, CCN Pharmacy and uh, you can get your prescriptions through us. Uh, and I believe we have the the mail order option. So if you uh get your prescriptions through allies, you know, they can be mailed directly to your home. Um we do treat everything that we test for. So in addition to HIV, uh we have the medication to cure hepatitis C. Um, hepatitis C can cause a lot of damage and can go un unnoticed and undetectable for a long time. Um But it is extremely treatable, and we have the ability to do that at allies. Uh, And then we also treat for um, syphilis, uh, chlamydia, gonorrhea as well. Um, And as I said before, you know, we are a full-service health clinic. So anything that you're going to go to the doctor for, uh, if you've got a sinus infection, if you have allergies, um, like I said, the gynecological care, uh, if you're looking for uh, family planning, you know, birth control. Uh, That is something that we offer in the Allies Clinic. Um, And as I said, we work with CCN Pharmacy uh, to do those mail-order prescriptions.
0: That is, like, simply amazing. I really appreciate um, you for coming on and talking about that. And before we go, I know it's, like, super late. Um, Can you just talk? um, You said you have an event coming up. Can you just, because it is World AIDS Day, can you just talk about, How Allies has been involved um, in World's Day uh, locally and what this new event that's coming on is.
4: Of course. Uh, World AIDS Day, I I think, is especially important this year because uh, the year 2021 is the 40th anniversary of the AIDS epidemic. It was in uh, late June, early July of 1981 when the CDC first published reports about um, strange illnesses that were cropping up. And that was, that was the forerunner of what became the AIDS epidemic. So we are marking 40 years, uh, that we have been in a world that has AIDS. Um, and we're continually working to get to a point where, you know, uh, we live in a world without AIDS. Um, so the event that we are having is on Wednesday and it is going to be at the Giant Eagle in, um, I'm not sure if it's East Liberty or Shady Side. it's on that border there, um, but it's at the corner of Shady Avenue and Penn Avenue. Uh, and we are going to be having our, um, some guest speakers. We are going to be having health, uh, health fair. We have multiple community organizations that we work with who are going to be tabling at the event and passing out information about uh, their services and the things that they do. Um, And we're also going to have our mobile testing unit there so you can get tested for HIV uh, right on site. And since we do the rapid test, um, results are in about 20 minutes. So we're very excited that we're able to have this event and um, we're very grateful. We have a, a long list of community partners who have worked with us on putting this event together and we're really excited to see it come to fruition.
0: Yeah, and I think it's always a great reminder that it's a lot of organizations that are coming together and working together because a lot of the discrimination that people, you know, in the early ages, really laid the groundwork and the foundation for like medical collaboration. And a lot of the barriers that people, you know, are facing are still um, there. And so that's why it's also important people understand, you know, that allies is led by people who've been impacted uh, by HIV and AIDS. And for full uh, disclosure, I do actually sit on the board of allies. So I don't want people to be like, oh my gosh, just I, I've been lied to. But like, no, I think it's like very important that people with like lived experiences, people who've been impacted by illnesses and, you know, medical discrimination. Um, are actually leading, you know, these conversations and allies is one of these organizations. You say it's located right in East Liberty. It, a lot of the services are free or reduced cost. Um, so we want to encourage people to go in. And before we let you go, can you just talk to people how they can get in contact uh, with allies um, and how they can maybe um, set up appointments?
4: Absolutely. Uh, we recently launched a new website which allows people to make appointments right on our site. Uh, and that website is alliespgh.org. And then we are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find us at alliespgh on all of those platforms.
0: Perfect. Well, Mary Beth, thank you so much um, for taking the time to join us this evening. I hope you have a great rest of your evening and you're staying uh, warm and hopefully the snow won't uh, get um, too much in your way.
4: Thank you so much for having me, Miracle. You're welcome. Bye. Bye.
0: And so again, that was Mary Beth from um, Allies for Health and Wellbeing, another local organization um, right here in Pittsburgh that's doing uh, the work. Again, um, as this Wednesday, Wednesday approaches, you know, the, uh, the commemoration of World AIDS Day, we want to remind people that even though COVID-19 is still going on, a lot of these other, you know, illnesses and infections are still in existence. So you want people to stay, you know, informed and educated and know the resources and tools that are available uh, for them so they can take advantage um, of them and, and have the most optimal health. What we want to rem- people to remember is that, you know, you can live full, healthy, long-lasting lives with uh, HIV diagnosis. There's so much that has advanced in the world of uh, medicine. And so it's very important that people uh, uh, know that and are not afraid but empowered to go to these medical providers to take these tests, to know their status, to, uh, you know. And so that's why we have this program and we'll continue to have this program um, every year. With that, we want to thank uh, I know, Jess, Chaz, and Mary Beth for taking a little bit of time to sit with us this evening. Um, And as we close out, we have a couple of announcements. A lot of stuff, like we said, that's going on um, in the region. There's a lot of change that's happening, and we're very excited that you have taken the time out to watch and engage our program, to talk um, with our elected officials. And we have a lot of programming coming up for you in the new year. So first things uh, first, we are going to be launching our second season of Sunday Night Sit Down in a couple of weeks. So if you are a candidate and you're running for office, please get in contact with us. We will also be getting in contact with you based on the information that you gave uh, the Board of Elections. If that information has changed, if you now have a campaign email or a campaign website, Please make sure you're getting in contact with us because we're going to have that series coming on. If you liked our scorecards, if you love learning about these politicians through our candidate forms, guess what? Those are also coming back next year. We'll have a series of forms. The first ones will deal with the special elections, then the rest of the forms uh, later on in uh, the the latter part of the spring are going to deal with uh, the primary uh, elections going forward so we'll have two series of uh, forums depending on what's happened with COVID-19 they'll be virtual or in person or a hybrid of both Um, so please just uh, stay tuned for those but as you know um, tomorrow is Tuesday it is Giving Tuesday And so we are asking as well um, for your support. We have a PayPal. We have an ActBlue. And so tomorrow we hope that you um, join us in supporting um, all of the work that we do uh, for Giving Tuesday for our 501c3 and our 501c4 um, components uh, for the One Hood Media Network. We're asking for all of your support Um, as you go through. You know, you can just go online to our website. Um, which is, you know, onehoodpower.org, and you can uh, make a, d- a donation uh, that way. Um, in addition, since we are talking about um, health, the closing of tonight, we're going to have a, a PSA about how to use Naloxone and Narcone, Um because we know that for a lot of folks, um, this has been a very tough time. And because of a variety of reasons, people looking to self-medicate people are experimenting and we want people to again use the tools and resources that are afforded to them to be as safe as possible we'll be playing um, these PSAs on a lot of our program and in no way are we trying to infer that um, people who are living with HIV and AIDS are drug addict or drug users, but we um, just launched this PSA campaign and we're playing for a lot of um, our programs uh, starting this week. There'll be uh, different drops that you will um, see. So that's what we're going to do at the wrap up. But before we go, as you know, the One Media Network is always out with some type of programming. And tomorrow we have a really, really great program. So what, what Black Pittsburgh needs to know about education and punishment. And we'll have the great Dr. Kathy Elliott from Gwen's Girls joining us on the program for tomorrow at 2 p.m. So please make sure you are tuned in. There's a lot that's happening on the school board with the suspensions, the changing of superintendents. So there's a lot of things that are going on that I want you to be mindful of as we go into this coming year. Um, and we have a whole new school board, pretty much being sworn in in different parts of uh, the counties, and so we, um, and the cities and the boroughs. So, I want people to really understand what's going on um, with the local school board policies. Wednesdays, you no, know, <laughs> Wednesdays, it gets it gets a little real for this week in white supremacy. So, please join us Wednesday at six for that, and Thursday, of course, we have on tilt um, at twelve p.m. talking about your mental health. But we know a lot of you have questions about this new COVID variant. Um, So, next week, not this week, but next week, we'll have Ask a Black Doctor back so we can talk about COVID 19 and what that means um, for you and your community. Again, remind people the flu is also here. So, take your flu shots. Um, If if you can, go ahead and make sure you're washing your hands, wearing your mask, and being as safe as possible. There are a lot of events um, happening. And last thing before, We go to our PSA to remind people of the family of Jim Rogers is still out advocating and and demanding justice and demanding answers for what happened. Um, The the surveillance that was supposed to be released has not yet been released. A lot of information has not yet um, been made public. And so a lot of people are still trying to figure out what happened to Jim Rogers. Why was he tased? Why was he transferred to the jail and not the medical um, hospital? Why was he not giving medical aid? And so they are, there's going to be a protest tomorrow at Frankstown, I believe, starting at 6 p.m. And so please make sure during this time you keep the family of Jim Rogers in your prayer. Um, in addition, we know there's been a, a lot of accidental shootings over the past couple of weeks and um, for someone an increase in gun violence. Depending on how you fall um, on this issue, the city of Pittsburgh police did say that they're launching a campaign to give out um, locks for people who have uh, guns. So if you go to the city of Pittsburgh page or the Pittsburgh police page, um, they'll have information about that. I am not aware if there's any type of tracking or reporting that goes along with that. But if you are someone who has a gun and you're looking to have a lock, you can reach out them or other organizations. Um, With that, we hope you all um, stay warm, stay safe. If you are looking for housing support, we did post some uh, uh, flyers about um, housing support, and we'll post them again. But we want you to stay safe, stay warm, and stay healthy um, this winter. And we're going to play a PSA. And thank you so much for joining us this evening. I hope you have a great day.
1: I'm Alice Bell. I want to make sure that everybody knows how to use Narcan or Naloxone. They're the same thing. Narcan is a brand of the nasal spray. Naloxone is the generic name. It comes in a nasal and an injectable, and you should know how to use both because if you're with somebody that overdoses on heroin or fentanyl or other kind of opioid, you never know which kind might be there. Prevention Point gives out injectable Naloxone. Comes in a black bag so that, because it lasts longer if it's not exposed to light. Inside the bag are two single-dose vials of naloxone and two intramuscular syringes and an instruction card. The way that you use it, you see somebody who you think might be in an overdose, you shake them, you call their name. If they don't respond to that, you wanna see if they respond to pain. You don't have to smack them around. Uh, You don't wanna hurt them. Take your knuckle, rub it hard on their chest pinch a fingertip or an earlobe, those things are painful. If they don't respond to that, then they, they may be in an overdose. Check and see if they're breathing. Put your ear close to their mouth and nose. Do you hear any breathing noises? Do you feel their breath on your ear? Do you see their chest rising and falling? If they're not breathing, it's important to breathe for them. The reason that people die of an opioid overdose is they stop breathing. Breathing for somebody can keep them alive until help comes if you don't have naloxone. If you do have naloxone, giving them a few breaths, keeping some oxygen in their lungs while you give them the naloxone can also save their life. The way that you breathe for somebody, you lay them flat on the floor on their back, tilt their head back, open their mouth, first check inside their mouth to make sure that there's nothing that's blocking their breathing. Gum, puke, Uh, food, anything that you could scoop out with your pinky you want to remove. Then take a deep breath. Pinch the person's nose with your fingers. Make a seal with your mouth over theirs. Blow in two breaths to start. Blow up their lungs like you're blowing up a balloon. Then give them one breath every five seconds. So count 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, 1,004. Breathe. You can keep somebody alive just by breathing for them. To give them naloxone, the injectable naloxone, you're going to pop off the orange cap, open the package of the syringe, take the pop off the syringe, pierce the rubber stopper, and pull up all the liquid that's in the bottle. The bottle's not full. The liquid, the, the amount of liquid that is in the bottle is one dose. So you're going to take that, and then you're going to inject it into a muscle in their thigh or shoulder. It's a big needle, so you can go right through their clothes. Just jab it into the muscle, press down on the plunger, and then wait for it to work. It can take three to five minutes to work. So you wanna keep breathing for them while you're waiting for it to work. If they don't start breathing on their own after about three minutes, give them a second dose. The nasal naloxone is a little bit easier to use for people who aren't used to injecting. Comes in a box like this. There's also two doses in the box. Inside, two blister packs. You just pull open the pack, take out the unit, stick it in the person's nose and push on the button. You won't see the spray and you won't hear it, but once you push the button, all the spray goes into the nostril. Again, keep breathing for the person while you're waiting for it to work. It's absorbed through the nasal passage. So even though they're breathing, they're not breathing, it still will absorb. They don't start breathing on their own after three minutes. You can give them a second dose. You can get Naloxone from prevention point. You can get Naloxone from the Allegheny County Health Department. You can buy Naloxone at a pharmacy or have it paid for through your insurance. Uh, There are lots of other places to get in the zone. You can find more information on Prevention Points website. That's pptgh.org. You can find out all of our sites where to get in the zone around the city and more information. There's also a video there that shows you how to use naloxone and other information.